0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to On Show, the Louvre Abu Dhabi podcast that takes you on a tour. For this new episode, we're taking you to 17th and 18th century France, to the beating heart of French monarchy. It is not only a house for the kings, a site attracting millions of visitors each year, and a palace that inspired Sofia Coppola's movie Marie Antoinette. It is also a place of wonder and exchanges since its construction during the 17th century. You may have guessed it. Today, we're taking you to the Palace of Versailles. I am Marine Boton acting senior interpretation and mediation officer at the Louvre Abu Dhabi, and with the curators of the exhibition Versailles and the World, we will discover how the palace was an open house welcoming a world of international visitors, such as ambassadors, scientists, artists or merchants, and even the common people, and the role it played to position the French monarchy at the forefront of the diplomatic, scientific and artistic scenes of the time. For this special tour, I have the pleasure to be with Hélène Delalex and Bertrand Rondeau, creators of the exhibition. Hélène Delalex, Bertrand Rondeau, thank you very much for being here with us today. It's really a pleasure to visit this new exhibition, Versailles and the World, with you both. So Hélène, you are a heritage curator and Bertrand, Chief Heritage Creator, both at the Department of Furniture and Decorative Art of uh, the Musee National de Versailles et Trianon. So Versailles is like a second home for you both. But to set the scene a little bit for us, how would you describe in a few words uh, the Palace of Versailles for someone who never visited it?
1: The Palace of Versailles is a huge building. It's one of the largest palaces in the world, I would say. But it's not only that, but it's an amazing place for its beautiful architecture, its gardens and it has always fascinated the public, the visitors, and not only the French, and for the good reason that Versailles was a public uh, place, a public palace, that was the wish, the will of Louis XIV, and since its construction, it was open to everybody, no condition of um, richness or social um, level to visit Versailles. It was really open to all, and that would make it also so single, so peculiar in Europe and the whole world.
0: That's wonderful. So in the exhibition,
2: which time frame are we talking about? Yes, uh, we display works of art till the uh, mid-17th century in the reign of Louis XIV, till the end of the 18th century at the eve of French uh, Revolution
0: and the title of the exhibition is Versailles and the World. To have a bit of context, what was the place of uh,
2: the Kingdom of France at the time in the world? The influence of France at that time in the 18th century and uh, during the reign of Louis XIV and Louis XV is incomparable. Uh, France is, at the time, uh, the first military power in uh, Europe, but somehow it sets uh, the tone for the arts, for literature, for arts to live in the French way, à la Française, and it's uh, in its decorative art and uh, fashion, for example.
0: So, Hélène, uh, we are in the very first room of the exhibition, and it's quite a bold room, quite a statement. What was the intention for this introduction room?
2: Yes, so when the visitor will enter in this exhibition, they discover this great film, and the room is uh, ornated with... uh, multiple mirrors which evoking the famous horse uh, of mirror and uh, the film plays uh, with uh, the reflection of mirrors and this film is also important because uh, it make for the visitor who don't know Versailles like a private visit of Versailles of the variety of uh, the domain and on the other hand the aim for this film is uh, to feel the visitor of today uh, feel the same fascination that the visitor of the 18th century we may have felt when they discovered Versailles for the first time. So it's a link between yesterday to today, and we see that nothing has changed, and it's still the, the same emotion in, in front of these beautiful yeah. images.
0: That's great. And uh, before we discover the actual uh, artworks of the exhibition, can you tell us how the exhibition
2: is structured? The exhibition is uh, organized in three main parts. To summarize, uh, the first part is The world comes to Versailles with the story of the the embassies. Uh, The second part of the exhibition is the commercial and artistic exchanges between Versailles and Orient, and especially for luxury products. And the third part of the exhibition, in a reverse movement, is Versailles discovering the world.
0: So as we enter the first chapter of the exhibition, we enter this room with these walls painted in this dark red and deep red color with wooden details that give a very refined aspect to the room. So Bertrand, what was maybe the intention for this room, the message you wanted to convey through the exhibition design?
1: The intention in this room, in the exhibition design, is to give a sense of the grandeur of Versailles. We are not reproducing any element of the decor of Versailles, but with the color, the dark, strong, rich red, and with some moldings, we give an idea of a magnificent space, even though it's much more muted than it would have been in Versailles. And so it's to feel, for the visitors, to feel the sense of grandeur and to be the best background for the works of art, that section, which are grand portraits, grand views of Versailles.
0: Let's have a look at the first artwork of, uh, for this chapter. So the attention is immediately gripped by this white painting, this large painting that's right in front of the entrance. It's a view on the Palace of Versailles, but from the gardens. Let's have a closer look together.
1: So it's a view of the palace from the garden side, from the south, through the orangery in the foreground, and you see the magnificent facade of the palace, which stretches more than six hundred meters from one end to the other and You may notice on the left hand side on the steps of the grand staircase, three visitors wearing turbans, so obviously uh, people from the Middle East, most probably Persians, due to the size and the shape of the turbans, and um, accompanied by a Frenchmen most probably a courtier who is their guide during their stay in Versailles, guide to visit the palace as well as the grounds, uh, the gardens. Who are they? We don't know, but it was quite uh, usual to see these foreigners in their national attire through the galleries, through the gardens of the palace.
0: What other type of visitors were we encountering as visiting Versailles? whether in the gardens or in the palace.
1: Actually, we have to remember that Versailles was a public palace open to anyone, and that's really quite unique in Europe, but not only in Europe, but in the whole world. Just think of the forbidden city in Beijing. No one could see the emperor, and no one could visit the palace unless uh, invited to do so. Whereas in Versailles, it was the country. Versailles was every day open to all visitors without any condition of... Um, richness of uh, wealth or social status, whatever. So anyone should be able to enter the palace and visit and the the apartments and the galleries and and the gardens. And so it was quite unique, uh, as I said, and it made it a wonderful attraction for all visitors, from not only from Europe, but from further parts of the world. And that's why it was quite common to see foreigners uh, here in Versailles.
0: Does it mean that anyone could have seen the king or the queen?
1: Yes, that was the rule that the palace was a public place, not only to see the structure, to see the beauty of the architecture, the collections, the furniture, but also to be able to see the king. He is the power, he embodies the power, and as such, this is the French rule. He has to be visible, accessible, but visible to his subjects and to anyone. And the fact is that, unlike in other courts, When you come across the king or the queen, you don't have to bow. So it means that you can look at him, look at his face and see his face and remember his features. And this is really important. That's why, again, Versailles was so much liked by the visitors, by the tourists, because the main attraction was the king himself and to be able to see his features.
2: I would like now to turn to our right and discover a quite uh, astonishing piece. Yes, uh, this impressive model is uh, the largest staircase uh, that leads to the the king's great apartment, that leads to the throne room and then uh, to the halls of mirrors. And it was quickly called the staircase of ambassadors because it was reserved for great processions of uh, embassies from uh, all over the world. And you see at the first floor, the paintings represent the four parts of the world, the most prestigious nations of the world, which were painted here by Charles Lebrun. And just near this model, we have sketches of uh, the painter. And it gives the idea that uh, when the ambassadors uh, goes up, they were welcomed by the most prestigious nations uh, on uh, on the world. Today, we have a pretty fair idea of what can be a
0: reception for head of states or ambassadors in our modern countries. Do we know exactly what was the etiquette or the ceremonies for ambassadors back in those days?
1: There were two etiquettes actually. One etiquette was for the European ambassadors who were staying in Paris with a proper embassy in Paris and they were received on a simpler standard because they were received for their ceremonial audience in the king's bedchamber and because there was no need for the king neither for the king nor for the ambassador to impress the other part because in Europe countries knew each other whereas for uh, embassies coming from non european countries which are no permanent embassy in Paris obviously then the etiquette the protocol was much grander then it was to honor and impress the ambassador and that. The impression brought back to the sovereign far away and that these embassies were received in the Hall of Mirrors, oh, mainly in the throne room and sometimes eventually in the Hall of Mirrors. And that's why they had to climb this grand staircase, which was really for these um, grand uh, ceremonies.
0: And are we aware of some famous faux pas in that protocol uh, in history?
1: Actually, more than faux pas, we are aware of um, adaptations of the protocol to the requests, to the demands, to the habits of the other part. And, for example, the Persian ambassador, in 1715, requested that the standard of Persia would be carried throughout the ceremony, the processions, when arriving in Versailles, which is not done, actually. But Louis XIV agreed, because it was to honour the Shah of Persia. So we see, in all these visits, every time uh, a negotiation between the French part and the other part so to make the visit as grand as possible and as um, fruitful for each part to honor these traditions on both sides
0: so before we meet maybe some of these ambassadors I would like to continue and take to the left to discover another masterpiece of the exhibition so we're looking at, at a set of that are depicting scenes from a very special time in the court of Louis XIV. Can you tell us more about it?
2: Yes, we are presenting here this unique and quite exceptional work of art. Uh, It's six plates uh, from the Louis XIV personal painted book uh, embellished with gold and silver, and uh, for the history, uh, Louis XIV gave this grand carousel in 1662, in honor of the birth of his son, the Grand Dauphin. And he gave this grand carousel. And uh, it was uh, the most dazzling equestrian feast in the Ancien Regime that we couldn't imagine. And um, on the one hand, this uh, work of art is very interesting because uh, in France, before Carousel, uh, the tradition, it was like a total spectacle with uh, fireworks, with presentation of exotic beasts, with um, processions. And Louis XIV decided to draw inspiration from the Arab horses riding tradition. And this tradition gave to the horses a sublimated and poetic place. So Louis XIV decided to only keep the horses in this great carousel and we see here in this plate the extraordinary luxury of the harness of the of the horses. And on the other hand, uh, what is really important for us is the theme of this grand carousel because it's on the five parts of the world means the most prestigious nations of the world and uh, you see each nation is symbolized by a color, a precious stone, a astre, And you, you see, for example, the Roman Empire with the color red and the diamond, uh, the Persians with the color pink and the ruby, the Turkish man with the pierre turquoise and the color blue, the Indians with the peers and uh, the American quadrille, which is the most strange because the, the continent was not also really known at that time. Thank you very much. Uh, let's now discover the third
0: room for this chapter. So as we enter this uh, last room of the first chapter of the exhibition, we're welcomed by a quite wonderful gallery of portraits. Bertrand, can you tell us who are they?
1: So here we have big, huge portraits of ambassadors who came to Versailles, of visitors very important visitors who came to Versailles during the 17th and 18th century. And, uh, for example, we have a Chinese uh, man who came in 1684. Uh, We have a Turkish ambassador who came in 1642. And last but not least, a young prince from Annam, present-day Vietnam, who came in 1787.
0: Let's have a look at this painting.
1: So this is a portrait of a very young boy who was not even eight years old when he came to Versailles. Actually, his father, the emperor of uh, Cochinchin, or Annam, had been um, expelled from the throne by a revolution. And he was asking for the help of France, of the French army, to reclaim his throne. And as testimony of his goodwill, he sent his young son, first son, with his prime minister, prime Mentorine, who at that time was a French bishop. To France to ask for the help of the court, and so that was a very long journey and um, they eventually reached Versailles and immediately the Prince Foucan, this young boy, became very popular because he was very young, unexpected of course, and wearing this strange uh, turban, for example, with a big knot on his forehead and immediately it created a, a fashion for ladies at the court to wear a turban à la Cochinchine.
0: And these painting, like the other portraits around us, do we know who was commissioning them and for whom?
1: So most of these paintings were commissioned by the Royal Administration to keep a memory of these visits, of these very important visitors, and of the fashion they were representing, of their outfit, of their splendid uh, appearance. But the portrait of Fukan was commissioned by the the missionaries to whom uh, the bishop belonged. So that's a slightly different story, but anyway, it has kept the memory of uh, this young Vietnamese prince.
0: Let's now discover the next chapter of uh, the exhibition that is about the exoticism in Versailles. So in this uh, new chapter, as we change the focus, uh, we also change the color palette of the exhibition with this rich, deep blue, a royal blue, maybe. Yes. Uh, Hélène, what is the symbolic of this uh, yes. color palette?
2: Yes, it's very beautiful, uh, deep blue. uh corresponds perfectly with this uh, section where many decorative arts are exhibited. And it highlights uh, wonderfully the gold of bronzes that are displayed here.
0: We moved from mainly paintings to decorative art and many precious objects in this... Yes, gr- in this,
2: yes. Um, yes. The, the subject here is the exchanges of luxury products such as porcelain, perfumes, jewelries, diamonds, pearls, but even uh, coffee or chocolate. Before we move to
0: uh, our next artwork, was Versailles considered an exotic palace? And uh, what traces of exoticism could we have found in Versailles at the time?
1: I would say that Versailles was not really an exotic palace. It had to be a French palace. It had to show the French art. Um, it was a political statement as such, the palace itself. But within, so in the official rooms, there's not much of exoticism. There are some influences, some elements, but overall, it's the French style. But in the private apartments, in the rooms, uh, where the members of the royal family could gather their collections, their exoticism became strong, and we'll see some examples of um, these marvelous exotic objects collected by the royal family.
0: So let's now turn to this spectacular candelabra to our right uh, hand side.
2: Hélène, why is it an exceptional piece? Yes, we are exhibiting here this fabulous masterpiece like the reclining uh, camel fire Duck just next. And these two works of art comes from the Turkish cabinets uh, in royal residences, the one for the Comte d'Artois, brother of Louis XVI, and from the Turkish cabinets of the Queen uh, Marie Antoinette. And uh, this piece also you see masterpiece of decorative arts because you show the extreme uh, richness uh, of these cabinets. Uh, these cabinets were completely adorned by Turkish motifs on the wall and furnished with uh, furniture on the same inspiration. And the realistic rendering of the animals in bronze is due to the perfection of carving made by the, the best bronvier uh, of the couronne. And the general craze for Turkery in the seventeenth century and eighteenth century especially uh, of high society uh, arose the creation of such very precious Turkish cabinets in uh, royal residences and they illustrate uh, an orient of fantasy and uh, these uh, animals gave an idea of exotism, of distance elsewhere, that's fascinating, this high society, but also uh, recall that these animals were also present in Versailles at the ménagerie in, in the garden.
0: And moving from Turkish influences, we will now see Chinese influences with an exceptional installation that we can see across the room. Bertrand, let's go there. Can you describe this wonderful uh, room for us?
1: Yes, I believe this is one of the most stunning parts of the exhibition because not only really have we paintings uh, on the walls but are inserted into the boiseries, into the decor of the room, as it was in Versailles. Actually, this room doesn't exist anymore in Versailles since the 18th century, but we have kept the drawings made by the architect for the model of the wood panelling and we have uh, blown up this design to scale one, this drawing to scale one, to be able to insert the real paintings uh, for this Chinese cabinet of Majljenska. The wife of Louis XV was a painter herself and she wanted to decorate this cabinet with uh, her own paintings. She was helped by a team of painters, of professional painters, but the hand of the queen is there. And it's very important because it's not only a fantasy about China, about Chinese art, uh, Chinese architecture, Chinese garments. uh, But it also depicts, in these four paintings, it also depicts the story of of tea. In one painting, you see ballots of tea leaves brought from the, the gardens, once they have been collected. In another painting, you see ladies rolling up the tea leaves in their hands, In the third painting, you see an official from the tea plantation meeting an official from the administration. And in the last painting, you will see men uh, closing crates for the export of tea, this precious uh, tea, to Europe. So it's really the whole story of the tea production that is depicted here by the Queen herself for her private drug room in Versailles.
0: So we tend to forget that some of our most common products nowadays come a very long way and were actually very precious at that time. Let's now discover the next and last chapter of
2: the exhibition. So under the reign of Louis XIV, The power became aware of the strategic issue to launch a real scientific policy. So uh, Louis XIV launched a real uh, scientific policy and it was the creation in 1666 of the great Royal Science Academy. And he uh, gathered all the most prestigious scientists in uh, in Europe. Uh, And uh, this new academy uh, launched researches about botany, zoology, geography, astronomy, that has changed the world. And it is really important for visitors to understand that Louis XIV wanted to add to the military, to the artistic glory, um, the, 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 he, he wanted to be the most modern sovereign of his time. And what made modern? Modern means know of the world, awareness, openness to the, to the world at that time. And this chapter is called Between Earth and Sky, Discovering the World. Uh, what type of discovery are we talking about? Uh, we are talking about discoveries about botanic, about astronomy, about zoology. It was a great period of research with uh, a link between the scientists and, and the power. As we enter this new
0: chapter, and we discover also the change of uh, exhibition design and color palette with this pale green. We're actually welcomed by a large painting of a pineapple, <laughs> uh, but not any pineapple.
2: Yeah. It is actually the first Yeah, the first and very pineapple? famous first oh. pineapple uh, of the Potager du Roi in Versailles. And for visitors, it's really important to discover another image of Versailles and to understand that at that time, uh, Versailles becomes like a, a little microcosm uh, of, of the world, uh, gathering and studying in the heart of its domain. Uh, all the plants, all the animals come from all over the world. And above all, it was the pineapple with the star at that time, because uh, having a pineapple in royal garden uh, was a cute innovation, because it was uh, such a feat to succeed uh, in growing these fruits so sensitive to cold and humidity, and it is due to the construction to more than greenhouses that, after many unsuccessful attempts, the first two pineapple in Versailles uh, fruited in 1733. It was at Christmas, and uh, Louis XV tastes for the first time his first ananas for Christmas, and it says that it's absolutely excellent. And this fruit creates like an ananas mania, because uh, you see it's very strange, very exuberant fruit. And we know that it was also called King of Fruits because of its perfect oval shape, like a head, of its golden color, of its like a crown of leaves above uh, above the head. So it it influenced very much the decorative art. But this painting You know, it's like a portrait of an ananas, a real portrait. And it was Jean-Baptiste Oudry, the famous painter of the king, who drew this uh, portrait. uh, And this was a painting that Marie-Antoinette liked very much since she hung up in her golden cabinet, the most precious cabinet of her private apartments.
0: And this painting is actually hanged in this room on the outer wall of a pavilion
2: that's taking the center of the gallery. So, let's have a closer look at this pavilion. Yes, so one of the most successful sections in terms of scenography is this evocation of the central living room of the famous ménagerie that has disappeared uh, today. Ménagerie means zoo, right? Yes, yes. It was considered as the first zoo in the world Why? Because it was quite common to have exotic beasts in royal residences in Portugal or in Vienna, for example. But it was the first time that these animals are considered not only as curiosity, but as a living being. And they have been studied, they have been classified in seven courtyards and uh, along the new uh, scientific classification a- at the time and when these animals disappeared when they died they have been dissected by anatomists and they contributed in a decisive manner to the progress to the comparative uh, anatomy
0: and i believe that some animals from the menagerie became actually very famous
2: yes so the rhinoceros were very famous and also the female A Congo elephant offered by the king of Portugal and as I said this animal has been dissected but it was like a great spectacle in a great amphitheater uh, set in the garden of Versailles and the archives said that when Louis XIV arrived uh, on the amphitheater he asked where is the anatomist and the anatomist Duvernay grows uh, from the flanks of the elephant and all the court was completely astonished by this event. So it was the most uh, famous uh, dissection, but yes, it's true that um, many animals were very, very famous uh, in Europe. Uh, When we exit the ménagerie
0: pavilion, we will take to our left and uh, stop by two uh, impressive scientific instruments. If we follow the wall on our right side, there are these two very uh, tall scientific instruments. The top part is made of a metallic sheet mm-hmm. that's um, octagonal shape uh, with a lot of engravings. What are they used for?
2: Yes, this, uh, this is two masterpieces that we present uh, here. And this is a very, very rich uh, scientific instrument created by the new Royal Science Academy, created by Louis XIV in in 1666. And the one uh, shows the movement of the planets according to the Copernicus system, and the other the mechanics of solar and lunar eclipse, and without uh, the aid of the table of calculation. So it was uh, uh, like a revolution for the astronomer to have such instruments. And on each side of this showcase, we find two other
0: showcases with manuscripts and drawings.
1: Yes, this is an important section of Versailles going out to the world because we know that in the second half of the 17th century, and especially in China, the European astronomers and moreover the French astronomers were uh, required to lead astronomy in the eastern countries. And uh, so they were the head of the observatory in Beijing, and there were Jesuits uh, fathers who were very learned in astronomy and mathematics. Who
0: are Jesuits?
1: The Jesuits, it's a religious order of priests in the Catholic Church who were very open to the world and very interested in uh, not only bringing the Catholic faith, but also in understanding the other cultures, the the other people, and trying to adapt the faith and the European sciences to other communities, other nations. And that's why they were so successful in China. And it's interesting that on their way to China, they had to stop, they were on the ships of the French ambassador to Siam, present-day Thailand. So they had to stay for several months in Siam, where they did observations with the king of Siam, Franahai. And then they became very popular in Siam as well, and Franahai built uh, an observatory for them in Loppuri, the summer capital of the kingdom. And we have a beautiful drawing showing this observatory for the the Jewish uh, astronomers.
0: Let's now turn to one of our last artwork for this tour. As we turn our back to the showcase dedicated to the scientific instruments and observatories, we're facing this uh, large painting showing three men uh, in an interior Yes, uh, in the library of the king. <laughs> and they're looking closely at a very wide map. So let's have a look.
2: So this painting represents the La Perouse expedition, the most famous and the most important scientific expedition of the 18th century, which has remained uh, mythical and quite mysterious. And you see, as you, as you said, we are in the library of the interior apartment of King Louis XVI in Versailles, and the King is accompanied by his Secretary of State for the Navy, the Duc de Castries. And the king is welcoming the comte de La Perouse, uh, ready to leave for his expedition uh, around the world. And the king gives him uh, his instructions uh, on the road to follow and the place to recognize. And Castri, there, the minister, holds in his hand the memorandum containing all the instructions for La Perouse.
0: We to forget that borders were not obvious at that time. We were still discovering the world or exploring the world from the French perspective, for example. Just next to this painting, there is also a showcase that is uh, showing a quite striking uh, map displaying uh, notably the Arabic peninsula.
1: Yes, and this map is very interesting because it's a precise map, the most precise map of the middle of the 18th century. It was printed in 1752. Thanks to these expeditions, thanks to the studies made by the astronomers, the French astronomers in the Far East, they could give a much more precise detail of the coastline, and also calculate more precisely the distances between different points on Earth, and thanks also to new um, inventions that, like the astronomical clock by Bertou that we can see in the next showcase. And so this is a very precise document, and since uh, we see Arabia, the pe- uh, Arabic Peninsula, very clearly, and with the empty quarter still empty, but the coast is uh, where the name of the city is there. And if we look at the part describing India, there was still a part which hadn't been visited or explored by the Europeans, and so the geographer wisely writes on the map Pays Inconnu, unknown country.
0: Now, from uh, exploring the Earth, I'd like to conclude on the question of exploring the skies with two very interesting prints that are right by the exit of the exhibition.
2: So this print recalls uh, the first hot air balloon flight uh, that took place in Versailles uh, in uh, uh, 1783. And you see that uh, we are in the great courtyard of Versailles uh, in front of an incredible crowd to assist to this event, and uh, it was in 1782 that the brother uh, Joseph and Etienne Montgolfier uh, discovered the principle of ballooning, or say the archives, uh, the art of moving in the air like a clue and this, after the first public demonstration, they uh, demonstrated their invention in front of the king, it was the equivalent like a Nobel Prize to show his invention in front uh, of the king. So we are in the courtyard of Versailles, and uh, you see the uh, the air balloon uh, go to the sky, and it's high uh, 500 meters uh, before um, uh, ending. And uh, in the small basket that you see here, there were no humans for, for that now, but three animals, a rooster, a duck, and a sheep, and they must have had the fear of the lives. <laughs> but um, then the ship was renamed Mont ciel, go to the sky, and has ended his life in a very comfortable manner in the Petit Trianon de, de Marie Antoinette. But what is important is, it's obviously a such um, a scientific success, but also a political success, because it was the first time that a nation, the French, overcoming the gravity, So it was really important and gave birth to the first utopia of the first travel uh, in the sky, as shown in this beautiful, humorous engraving. That's Uh, the one on the left? Yes, the one on the left. And this engraving indicates the exact plan, the itinerary, the price of the tickets, uh, above this revolutionary uh, vessel aerostat. So it's the first utopia of the first tourists in, in the air.
0: So that was uh, yet a dream to come true. Yeah. <laughs> and um, would you like to say one last word to conclude the, this tour?
1: We have con- conceived this um, exhibition as uh, a visit to Versailles and to show the openness of Versailles and all discoveries. And I think that it's not peculiar, this curiosity is not, of course, peculiar to Versailles. And there were curiosity in other courts, in other countries, on other continents. But I think, in a way, Versailles has regathered all these interests in one place, at one point, at one time, of the history of the world. And that's why we think it's worth visiting uh, this exhibition and discovering it.
2: And uh, we hope that all these impressive um, masterpieces from Versailles and other institutions will strive, the visitor, will surprise them and will give a different image of Versailles, a richer, and more balanced uh, image. And therefore, I think it highlights many themes and issues that are still relevant in the world today because we speak about humanistic changes, diplomatic links, and curiosity, a collaboration. So I think uh, most of the themes are relevant today. Thank you very much to you both for having us today. It was a pleasure to
0: visit the exhibition with you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank
0: you very much. You can visit the exhibition Versailles and the World in Louvre Abu Dhabi from the 26th of January until the 4th of June 2022. This podcast episode was produced by Louvre Abu Dhabi. Our warm thanks go to Hélène Delalex and Bertrand Rondeau for their participation and France Museum team for their support. Preparation by Amine Ratchash and myself, Marine Botton. Recording by Richard Hagen. Post-production, music and mix by Making Waves. This podcast episode is also available in Arabic and French on the Louvre Abu Dhabi mobile app and our website, louvreabudhabi.ae. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for our next episodes.